everybody welcome to the 155th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage out here man good shit on winning game two that's the first thing that should be said man i i could i could only imagine the the emotion monster that was you during that game but uh i actually have a story i i uh as soon as the game ended, I hit you up and asked, when do we want to record? And then uh, we got a little time before the end of the game and recording. So I, I called my mom to ask how she enjoyed the game. And she told me that in the when nu- the Nuggets were making their push, she changed the channel to like HGTV and like would only flip back just to see what it is. So like as we're speaking right now, my mom's watching the game the fourth quarter of the game because she knows we won so she actually wants to see it so shout out to my mom hey those superstitions are clutch uh i think we switched the chair a couple times in the haas household playing mousies with, with Ert. i mean gotta keep rally kitty engaged i mean whatever you have to do to pull off a road victory in denver like like we said on the preview episode and after game one this team had the best record in the nba on their home court they had only lost seven times in the regular season san antonio got them once and for portland to advance they would have to win at least once in the mile high city it was ugly i didn't record the game and i'm kind of thankful because i never want to watch it again but hot damn we came and took home court advantage away from the never nuggets we came with the intent on getting a split that's all you need. We took one. Now we head back to Portland and we got to protect home court. Obviously, it starts one game at a time. But no matter how ugly this game is, all the record books that we will remember when we look back on this from years from now is that Portland won 97 to 90 to even the series at one game apiece. I thought the Blazers came out, looked a lot more aggressive, played a very aggressive defense. They baited really bad passes, and then they reacted and stole them. That was the type of defense and the pressure that we put in was the type of shit that you and I were pleading for in the last game. I was really proud of how we attacked and attacked and attacked. Any other game this year, man, if a, if a joker or a center turned his back to the guard we wouldn't even attempt to steal that fucking thing this time we were making the effort to steal balls from people that weren't good dribblers or steal from the passing lanes that type of defense is what we need to win this series yeah i thought the defense in the first quarter really set the tone for the entire game Mm -hmm. and we discussed on last podcast Portland never could sustain any sort of momentum or rhythm in game one. Well, they didn't sustain a whole lot in game two, but it was enough. We got off to a good start. It was very similar to game one against OKC where we came out guns blazing and we just held on for dear life. That's what we did tonight. I don't believe the Denver Nuggets led maybe 
more than two or three minutes into the game. After that, we had the lead and we just we ran away with it. And they came close to catching us, but we continued to circle around, circle around, circle around. We we didn't give up our pace. Mm-hmm. And I think it's truly important that Portland kind of takes that anecdote of momentum and how do we capture it and hold on to it because that's what's going to elevate them to the Western Conference Finals if they are to advance. And it started out with defense. I was really impressed with with Ennis, who was trying to poke the ball away. We were switching the pick and roll, thankfully, and Ennis was running out. I mean, he was running out at the ball handler and getting back in time. Everyone just had a a much more of a a pep in their step, which is interesting because they had such a long rest that you thought they would come ready to play in game one. But I thought Ennis made a good point that he said game one, we were just trying to gather as much information as possible about how the series is going to go. And it's a dangerous tactic. But when you're on the road, you only need to get one, which Portland accomplished. And if you're the Blazers offensively, I thought it was great that they got Aminu and Harkless and Cantor involved right from the jump. Mm-hmm. They knew they had a, a a honey hole in Ennis. I mean, he was a monster in game one and followed that up again with uh, 15 and nine on 50 percent shooting two steals and, and two blocks. I mean, he played just absolutely fantastic basketball over 32 minutes. They started out by going to him, making Jokic play defense. He hits the baby hook and then they made Denver pay for putting Jamal Murray on Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless mm-hmm. turned around, spinned, dunked. Zach had some p- moves in the post. Chief took Millsap. It just felt like Portland was the aggressors. And mm-hmm. they certainly weren't the aggressors in the second half, but it set the tone and it gave them enough of a head start. Yeah, that was their margin of error. That was like, Just like in game error. one where our first quarter was the margin of error, our good defense was the margin of error. I remember... Uh, there was a play where Paul Millsap tried to like bully ball his way into the paint, and Chief just grabbed that the ball and forced a tip. Like the game one, that shit was a dunk or a hard layup or something embarrassing. There was a lot more pride, especially in that first quarter, and then it just even though the impact plays were lessened in the rest of the game, they were still very aggressive in trying to force turnovers. Yeah, and I think that's how Portland is going to have to play. I mean, we were texting during the game, and it was not a traditional Terry Stotts defense. Terry likes to play it very conservative, very vanilla, straight up. We're going to make you make shots to beat us, essentially. Well, we tried that in game one, and Denver kind of picked us apart. And game two, I felt Portland was just – they were flying around. And Denver had a couple possessions where they hit back-to-back threes in the first half, but it had to come off of four or five passes. Mm -hmm. I mean, Denver was having to hum the ball around the perimeter, and even then, Portland was getting out and closing out on shooters. And, you know, to be fair, I can live with Paul Millsap and Malik Beasley shooting threes. I mean, they they are a good team, and they have shooters, but the difference was Nikola Jokic, and I think Portland found the magic formula in what they want to do against Denver. And I don't mean leaving shooters completely open because Jamal Murray had a few, Gary Harris had a few, that they were just wide open and, and, and they missed. But I think Jokic is so special offensively that anytime you're able to limit his touches, mm-hmm. limit his field goal attempts, you take that and you run to the bank. He only gets up 17 shots, 16 points, 
Yes, he had 14 boards and seven assists, but I will take that stat line from Jokic the rest of the series. If you're going to say the the comparison is, you know, 37, nine and six. And I guess what Portland did the best is in game one, Jokic only had 18 shots. So he only took one more shot in game one, but he had the ball in his hands and he was able to get to the line 12 times and he shot five threes in, in game one. In game two, Jokic only attempts one three and only gets to the line four times. Portland did a great job of getting the ball out of his hand. So it's not just about the field goal attempts. It's about taking away his opportunity to put yeah, up a shot. It's and the quality. Get to the, and get to the, the, the free throw line. I thought the Blazer Bigs did a great job of closing out on him, not even giving him a look at the three. Um, he is their bread and butter. I mean, he is the engine that makes that team go. And Portland did a, a really good job blowing up the pick and roll and not letting them feel comfortable. And I thought that that was the, the key to the game was our defense on on Jokic, the strategy that says, hey, we're going to Gary Harris, you're going to shoot threes. What does he do? Oh, a five. If Paul Millsap wants to shoot a th- fantastic stay out in the perimeter, Paul, we don't want you bullying chief down low. And this this is Jamal Murray. I mean, Jamal Murray is a feast or famine player. When he's on, he is magical. Just like in game two against the Spurs, I think he had 21 fourth quarter points to even the series then. Game one, he was lightning in a bottle. And he was just as important in Denver winning as Jokic was. You know, he had 23 and eight on, you know, eight of 15 shooting. Fast forward to tonight, couldn't throw it in the ocean. 15 points, six of 18, only two of eight from downtown. And I really thought Portland did not give him that mid-range look that he was feasting on in game one, which is so, so vital to beating the Nuggets is making them take shots a little bit further away than they're used to. Yeah, he's got that irrational confidence. So when he sees one go in, it gives him that little jolt. So when you when he gets the, the mid-range off the pick and roll and hits a bunch, he's hot for the rest of the game. But when you make him work for it and he ends up missing, it becomes a two for 20 type of type of day. Um, This game reminded me of the Oklahoma City series in a sense of they didn't shoot well. They're not going to beat us. And I think that that's a good feeling to have that the Blazers didn't play well either, but even though we didn't shot well, we find we found a way mm-hmm. and they didn't. And I think Portland did that in the Oklahoma City series. And we did that tonight. I mean, if you look at game one, Denver shot the lights out of the ball, 41 percent from three. They were just 21 percent um, tonight. And I believe they missed 10 in a row in a second quarter stretch. So that's that's. We talked about in game one, picking your poison, that's the poison Portland picked doesn't necessarily mean that's going to hold true throughout the rest of the mm-hmm. series, but it held true tonight and road victories are so, so rare. I mean, this was Portland's third road victory in our last 21 games, second in our last three, especially in this playoff run. So we're showing we can get it done outside of the row city. But if you can get them shooting that poorly in their, in their own home gym, you know, hopefully that, that, that translates when they're shooting in unfamiliar territory. Yeah, like the rims are going to get less friendly. Fan base is going to be a lot more uh, scary than the Denver Nuggets, not disrespecting any of the fans because I don't want any of that shit. But um, the thing that was most deflating and got me the most scared was 
Denver just boarded on us and got damn near like a four stack of offensive rebounds from a lot of those possessions. Yeah, Denver had 58 rebounds to our 47. Um, they had 14 offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter alone, 23 total. 28 offensive rebounds is an NBA playoff record. And this is why I said it reminded me of game one of Oklahoma City because we were literally using the clock as our ally. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were running out of gas. And I, I think the altitude played a a huge part. I mean, you look at it, we are already down Yusuf Nurkic. Mo Harkless only played 13 minutes due to the sprained ankle. And you've got Chief, who's undersized. Damon CJ are playing 40 minutes. Cantor's playing with a hurt shoulder. You know, Denver wanted this game. I mean, they out-hustled us. They they outworked us on that end of the floor. But what I will say is I don't think that happens in Portland. Yeah. I mean, this this is the first time this has happened to the Blazers, not even in the playoffs, in the regular season that I can remember. Like, we are a really good rebounding team. I just think that the altitude was there. I mean, we, we saw the finish line and we did whatever we could. I mean, we scrapped they, for the victory. It didn't need yeah. to be pretty. We just scrapped for it and got it. And a lot of the times we, we had our three guard lineup. We had mm. Seth, Dame and CJ out there. So we were very small and, and, and undersized chief who for his position is great. But Paul Millsap's just different weight class. And you can see it like, Paul Millsap's a built, thick man, and Chief's tall and lanky, and it, it's just when you're going for rebounds, size matters, and they they outsized us for those boards. But I mean, yo, we we got the win, and that's hugely important. Um, it was really cool to see Rodney Hood play so confidently two games in a row. Well, yeah, because we thought we had ruined a ceiling game by Rodney. Yeah, Hood. I thought we did. Yeah. To me, the key, the biggest takeaway, and I thought Denver had a major, not a a, a little, I thought they had a major advantage in the second unit. You know, they've got Will Barton, Monty Morris, Mason Plumlee, uh, Malik Beasley. They got Isaiah Thomas off the bench that doesn't see the floor. Trey Lyles doesn't see the floor. Herman Gomez doesn't see, like, they are deep. Herman Gomez would be probably our second best small forward right now and doesn't see the fucking floor. They are deep, but for the second straight game, Portland has either met or exceeded their production. And if you look at tonight, led by uh, the 25 combined points between Zach Collins and, and Rodney Hood, Portland gets 32 off the bench in comparison to 26 for, for Denver and to do that on the road when you're already down Yusuf Nurkic and then Maurice Harkless, that is a, that is to me the biggest positive we can take away because if they're playing like this on the road, they need to play even better Mm. at home, which typically role players do. I think Rodney has really found his groove um, posting up those smaller guards, his three ball looks so much better. I mean, he, those even, he, could, he could have had another three points because his three to end the half was literally in and out. And, you know, if, if he's hitting that just opens it up that much more, especially if Mo's going to be limited, because I think Portland needs to really stay away from the Jake Lehman experiment and give Rodney hood those minutes. I, I know you need bench production, 
but when Jake Lehman was in the game, we were playing four and five on offense, and he that's when Jamal Murray had his best uh, stretch was when Jake Lehman was trying to defend him. Like you, you had the perfect analogy. He was running around there like a puppy. Like he was just way overhyped, jumping at everything instead of being disciplined and just kind of uh, knowing his role. Also, I would say um, really quick, I don't like Jake Lehman playing at this stage in his career unless he's with Evan Turner. Those two have a connection, and if they want to play them together, I am all for it, especially if Rodney needs to move into the starting lineup. But outside of lobs, I don't know where you're going to get a lot of production on the offensive end from from Lehman at this point. I mean, that's just asking a lot at this juncture of the season. I mean, it could happen. Jake could, Lehman I'm, could I'm, I'm could get extremely that. hot. So I mean, it's not a non-zero chance that it happens, though. I think he just with Mo Harkless out, he has to play minutes. Rodney Hood can. I don't. I don't know if Stotts is thinking that Lehman's going to take the the Mo Harkless minutes, so Rodney can stay in his groove. But at the end of the day, we kind of have to play Jake. So I kind of enjoyed having him. Full court press Jamal Murray because at least he got some of the nervous energy out. But like at the end of the day, man, we don't have another small forward. He's going to have to play and Rodney can't play 48. So we have to find a way for him to be a a neutral at both. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I just I've been pretty down on Jake for a while now. Like I said, he really hasn't played well since that breakout against New Orleans. And it's not like I'm expecting him to contribute. Like he's a second or third year player who has played sporadic minutes. But at at this point in the season, there's, there's no room for a guy coming in and just playing filler minutes. Like if, if we have to, let's go big, let's play Ennis and Zach and a chief can play three. Um, I'd rather see Myers play along with Zach. And then again, chief can play the three Seth Curry, Rodney Hood, like we can go small and play Seth or we can play like there are other there are other angles there. I thought for the most part, Evan Turner played pretty decent. He gives you size at that point. Zach Collins played really well. He he was a foul monster. He was a foul monster for absolute sure. But he produced in those minutes, even though he's picking up fouls. I would say his defense on Jokic was the, the best I've seen. In from a young player, mm-hmm. just straight up using his length, not getting bullied. I mean, on the offensive end, he still needs to work on those hands. He's got to get soft hands and be strong with the basketball, but he hit an open jumper. He took Mason Plumlee in the post. Um, he, he rim runned. He was, he, he, just, he was doing his thing. It wasn't yeah, out I, of, it wasn't like an out of body experience. He played within himself and succeeded. And then he contributed defensively because, Enos was dealing with some sort of other injury to his body, so we needed him to play those minutes. So Zach Zach did his thing, Rodney Hood did his thing. I'm starting to really fall in love with Seth Curry. Like he makes the big play at the big time. Like he'll get really, the stick. I was really hoping Seth would have hit that second three on the fast break, just like he did in the OKC series. But his three in the fourth was clutch. Clip big buckets, man. We still need to get him more than four field goal attempts. Definitely. I mean, for Portland to succeed, they really need Seth and or Rodney, um, especially if Mo can't go. I mean, that's just 
that that's a, that's that a, that's injury a, looked kind of gross too because you could see yeah, how it rolled in in the post game. Mo, he looked okay. He looked confident. He looked like yeah, it sucked. I mean, I'll take it day by day. You know, saying the the cliche, but if I had money and this is just a straight gut instinct, I say he plays in, in game three. You know, how do, limited though. I mean, I, I think you do the rice rest, ice, compress, elevation. You know, take 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 care of that ankle, Mo. You know, take take a day off. I Be think ready. games at seven thirty. It's a later start. You know, I think that uh, we should have a backup plan ready, and hopefully, as long as it's Rodney's not Jake ready, Lehman, yeah, we can have a backup plan. <laughs> Damn, this and hey, the I, I God. Real, I am real with these players. I praise them when they do well, but if they aren't bringing it, you don't just get these minutes because you're a member of the team. Like you got to earn your playing time. And Jake was hurting us out there. I mean, if he comes in and plays a fantastic game, I will gladly eat that crow and say, yes, let's let's give him more minutes. But for right now, from what I've seen, and not just in the small sample size of six minutes, but over the last two months of the season, I'm not comfortable with him getting a ton of minutes. Um, but let's talk. I want to go back to, to Zach Collins because I thought he played with a lot of poise for a young player in a really hostile environment in terms of what was at stake you're playing at the altitude you have playoff fans just ravenous i mean wanting a a victory and he was cool he was calm he was collective he didn't force the the three he had a couple of opportunities where it looked like he was thinking about it but he didn't do it and he ran the offense and i was like okay zach zach's locked in he's ready to play because you know we talk about the scaries making scary passes Zach takes scary three sometimes where he's like, oh, shit, I'm open. Should I shoot? Yeah, fuck it. Let's just l- let it go. <laughs> one out of every five times it goes in, but he didn't do that. He was locked in. And I think that's going to be a key matchup for Portland is Zach Collins and Mason Plumley. Mason is doing a lot of the things that Nerland's Noel did the previous series, put back dunks, crashing the glass, scoring in in the post. Um, I think Zach needs to get a little bit tougher on the, on the box out, you know, just really clean the glass, but also make Mace play some defense. Like he took him in the post one time, but then the other time he laid it up softly and got it sent back to him. So just the aggression needs to be on all the time when, when he's on the floor. But I think that is, you know, you can't ask for much more from Zach five of six shooting, just every bucket felt huge. If he and Rodney can play like that, you feel really good. You just feel really good. Um, mm. What about, and th- this is the most important player on our team, what did you think about Damian Lillard's game? I think offensively it was his worst game of the series, but then I looked at how he played defense. He clamped up. like He did a lot of good things defensively. When you're not hitting, you got to contribute to your team in other ways, and I can honestly say that he did it defensively, and I'm not mad at his game. I just hope that he can score better. There, there's this thing about Damian Lillard, man, and I, I, I've noticed it every game, including this one, where like he gets into spots where nine times out of ten that shit's a turnover, but because of the fucking like his skill level, and then there's a little bit of luck. It seems like when he's dribbling, you know, the basketball gods won't allow that shit to be a turnover. Even when like it really should be a turnover, I mean, I think if you're a Trailblazer fan, 
this is an outlier performance. Through the first six games of the postseason, he was the best player in the entire NBA. I mean, this the playoffs were Damian Lillard's show when we were all punching our ticket to go watch Brilliance. It was unfortunate that he had such kind of a stinker, but on the plus side, he played so poorly on offense, we were still able to win that you have to be pretty giddy if you're a Blazer fan heading back to Portland because we saw how easy he made it look. I mean, 39 points on 21 shots, got to the line 13 times, six assists in game one. Now, he did have six turnovers as well, and that translated a little bit over into game two where he had three turnovers, just four assists, five of 17 from the field, only one hit out of seven tries from downtown, a total of 14 points. I mean, this was a classic 90s basketball game where it was grinded out slugfest. You're not just seeing the absolute, you know, marksmanship from downtown that you see today. And I would say Dame's threes, five of the seven, I felt were really clean looks. They just didn't drop. Um, He wasn't getting to the line as easy. So Denver definitely made a, a conscious effort to seal him off. And, you know, I was watching some of the post-game shows and I think Dame's going to look back at the film and say, I should have made that pass. They were sending so much help to him, both CJ and Dame, that we had guys in the middle of the floor that were willing to catch the ball and, and, you know, be in the triple threat position once they got it. So the Blazers are going to look at the film and I think they're going to say, we didn't play super great as well. I mean, I don't think Portland played well on offense at all. I mean, we shot 42%. Only nine of 29 from downtown. I mean, everyone's going to talk about Denver. Yes, they shot 35, but it's not like Portland lit up the world on fire. I mean, we gritted that one out. We scored a lot of our points in the paint, got some free throws when it mattered. And I I feel like we, we had the timely buckets this time around. But back to Dame, I'm not super concerned. I think he's going to come out with a vengeance in in game three i think you're right about putting him in positions where it's a turnover and he actually t- coughed it up a couple of times Yeah, he definitely did quarter. like uh i remember there was a play he t- broke the screen and then uh beasley just stuck his arm there and stole it and that shit happens they they put a lot of emphasis on making his life shitty when he's driving to the hoop he just needs to be conscious of it and like when he's splitting the double put it in the other hand that's not close to the defender swiping in. I mean, yeah, nobody really had it cooking tonight. I mean, Besides Rod, I think Rodney had a another ceiling. Yeah, Rodney was 5 of 11, Zach was 5 of 6, and Ennis was 5 of 10. But nobody really was, was cooking. No. Um, CJ, 8 of 20. Damon CJ combined to shoot 13 for 37, 34 points. In Portland goes into Denver and wins by seven. The we take it point, every down. Yeah. The 20 points by CJ was a game high. I mean, this this game was, I think, the ultimate outlier. And I think if you're Portland, you shouldn't read too much into it. I think if you're Denver, you shouldn't read too much into it. On the Denver side, they're going to say we missed shots that we should have made. On Portland side, you're going to say our defense clamped down a little bit better. We took better care of the basketball. I mean, I think one of the biggest um, keys for the Blazers was the turnovers, 18 turnovers in game one, which plagued them 
a couple of times in the OKC series. They cut that down to 11, and the game was won in points lost off turnovers. We allowed Denver to score 23 points off of our turnovers in game one. That number was slashed to 10 in game two. It really stopped and halted a lot of Denver's momentum. And I think both teams are going to say we can play a lot better. Mm. So for me, I just kind of take the game and run with it because we we got the dub. And I, and I hope Portland doesn't kind of rest on their laurels for this game because there is a lot of improvement. And quite frankly, they're going to need to play better to advance. They can't just say, oh, shit, we got three more games back at, at, at in Rip City. Our fans, they're going to carry us to victory. No. That, that's not how this works. The Blazers are going to have to come correct. And I think, you know, it was great that we got others involved. But at the end of the day, if the Blazers are going to advance, we need Damon CJ to mm-hmm. play at their level they did in, o- in the OKC series. Because this is really the second straight game that CJ's been below what he performed at in OKC. Yes, he had some buckets big in the fourth quarter, but he still only shot 40% from the field. And... Dame was feast or famine games one and games two. So there just needs to be a little bit more consistency from our stars because I'll tell you right now, Jokic is not going to be that quiet. Jamal Murray is not going to be that quiet. So as long as our stars elevate, I actually have you know quite a bit of confidence they will. And I think the role players are going to come along for the ride. Mm. So game three, you hyped? You hyped to be there? <sighs> you know it. How many second round matchups have you gone to in your uh, career as a Blazers fan? In 2017, I was 2016, excuse me. I was there for games three and games four of the Warrior series. So I think Dame has like 50 in game three. And then game four was the game Curry came back and Harrison Barnes hit the three to force overtime. And we lost that one. Um, And then I worked for the team in 2014, so I was there for games three and games four against San Antonio. Again, lost game three, so we were down 0-3. Thankfully, we didn't get swept, but the series was over in five. And so I think for me, obviously I want to advance to the Western Conference Finals, but if the Blazers don't handle it in five, which I think is asking way too much, I want to see the Blazers at least push this to six or seven because, like I said, I've never really seen that third home playoff game since you know 2000 or since i've been able to buy tickets to go see the team play i wouldn't mind uh us just sweeping the rest of the other thing uh, rest yes, of the playoffs well, we all can't agree with that <laughs> is the percentages are, are not in our favor no but you know i i would personally prefer it i don't, I don't know how denver's feeling right now but i, I personally would prefer it but yeah, dog. Like I, I can't imagine how hyped you are, man. Like you, I better hear you on the fucking TV, dog. That's all I'm saying. The emotion monster needs to be out of his cage for game <laughs> three, bro. I need to hear you yell defense first before anybody else. That's what I need from you in game three, my man. So let's get to a couple of fan questions before we dive into game three. Question from my colleague Ian. What up, Ian? Wants to know, how do the potential injuries change the series? I mean, we've got Harkless on Portland's side, uh, still Ennis Cantor, uh, Tory Craig, who suffered a, suffered a, that was a nose con- contusion. gross. And then I didn't see what happened with Jamal Murray, but he was showing significant limping. I think there. he got fucked up in that Spurs series. So, 
so I ask you the question, how do those injuries change the the identity or how the series is going to unfold for, for either side? What is the most impactful injury? I think it has to be Jamal Murray. I mean, he's he's the, the guy that sets the pace for this team. They need him to be big if Denver is going to steal one. Like, he has to be the catalyst. He has to be game one Jamal. So I think he would be the most important. Then I would go, ooh, that's tough. It's 2A and 2B with our guys, and then I think Craig is the third. I I mean, like, Torrey Craig, all the respect in the world to him. He's worked his ass off to get to this position, and he's he's in a rotation role on a team that was second in the West. Props to him. Yeah, he's you know, not. Chris he is not so the. Mo- he is not anywhere close to as valuable as Moharkless, though. No, I mean, credit Craig for showing a lot of guts and coming back. I thought there was no way he was going to return, but I think you have to put Craig and Cantor in kind of the same bucket. They're injured, but they're going to play. Ennis has been doing this now for. This is his third straight game. He's played with that separated shoulder. Tory Craig came back in the second half and and was making three pointers. So I assume both of them will continue to play. Um, I think Jamal Murray will play, but if he is even just a, a little bit hampered with, with that leg injury, I think Portland has to exploit that, especially on the defensive end. Um, he didn't look right on a lot of his jump shots, and obviously that's where you gain a lot of your, your power and energy from is from the legs. Uh, so Jamal Murray, to me, is is the biggest question mark. I think I think Portland can survive a game or two Without Mo Harkless, it's not preferable. It sucks, but we could do it. But I think if Mo can can go, that just boosts the Blazer bench that much more because we're not having to bring in a guy like Rodney to possibly start. And Mo was playing such good defense. Um, like we discussed on the last pod, he was switching with Aminu. I mean, we were really taking away their pick and roll. This, th- this defensive scheme that we're doing with the more aggressiveness, is something he would thrive in. So if he can, if he plays at a, if he can play and play at a high level, it's all, he's going to look so fantastic as a defender. Like this is the shit that he would, he really could do really well. Another question from more Sonic podcast. He wants to know, is there a greater mismatch in the NBA between a team like the nuggets fun, good to watch, entertaining and a fan base than Denver calls them sour cops. No, I can't. I can't do that. I am friends with plenty of Denver fans, and they're very, they're very passionate about their team. It's the it's the loud vocal people that ruin the reputation for others. It, yeah, it, I, mean, I, w- I would say I can't. I, I can't talk shit about forty thousand people I've never met. Yeah, there's people that are assholes on Twitter, but. I've seen our fans be assholes too, so I can't I can't judge because I'm not there and I, I'm hoping for a good series. I could give a shit less about the fans. Yeah, I mean I, I think the Blazer fans are definitely more loud, more vocal. I think yeah, uh, we're better push. fans. This this shit means more to Portland. Rips I mean, this we bleed Blazer Red. Like this game three means so much more to us than I think it does to the majority of Nuggets fans. What do you think happens in game three? Well, one, we have the ultimate X factor in game three. 
Pops is going to be in the motherfucking building. Pops is undefeated this year, in case you didn't know. Seeing us beat the Warriors. I don't know. He's seen us beat the Warriors. Seen us beat OKC in game one. So that, to me, is the ultimate X factor right there. I mean, I think... I mean, I think the arena is going to be hyped. This is the first time since 2000 that we have had a chance to go up 2-1 in a series that is not the first round. I hope the team doesn't come out with nervous energy like they did in Game 5. I hope they don't psych themselves out. Because the crowd's like, we're going to be chomping at the bit. It's going to be Friday night. It's a 7.30 start. I think it's it's tough to put into words how important these two games are. And I know you have to take them one at a time. But we're fans. We can kind of look into the future a little bit more than the players can. For Portland, I, I don't think you can realistically expect to win twice in Denver. You already got your one. It is now imperative that you hold serve at home and, and you just handle your business. That doesn't mean that's going to happen. That's what the Spurs had to do, and they they coughed it up in game four. I think if you're Portland, I th- for game three, continue to play with your hair on fire fly around the court, make plays, get the crowd involved. I mean, the energy levels are going to be already going to be through the roof. You're not having to play on the altitude. I think you want to make Denver second guess themselves. I think you want to push the defensive pace, make them make extra passes and ultimately keep the ball out of Jokic's hands. And on the offensive end, I really loved what we did by exploiting the mismatches, getting everyone involved. But then hopefully Dame or CJ or both will start to heat up a bit. And I, I think we can get one of those, you know, vintage blazer runs we've seen at home this playoff series where, as you like to say, we kind of break their will. And so that's what I'm going to be looking for is I think Denver wins if they can kind of stop the momentum, you know, make it a choppy, ugly game, keep the crowd out of it. I think Portland wins if we're able to generate that momentum, those pulses that we discussed, and if we're able to just let the crowd feed and just continue to um, kind of just like feed off of one another. And so that's what it's going to come down to. Um, If I'm looking at an X factor in terms of uh, players, I mean, for me off the bench, it's got to be Rodney Hood. I mean, can Rodney and Zach continue to perform how they did, you know, if our bench continues to outscore Denver's, you have to take those, um, you have to take that result and run with it because that would be, that would be huge. So that's who I have on Portland side on Denver. I think we're going to have to really make sure that we don't let Paul Millsap get going. Um, he had another pretty good game, 14 and 11, but really outside of that first half in game one, He's been pretty silenced. He only had two points in the second half of game one. And again, I'll I'll live with 14 on 14 shots, but that's still an advantage they have. So if we're able to push him out a little bit more, Chief was much more aggressive. And so this is a game where I look at the hustle board. 
you know, we're talking steals, block shots, rebounds. Portland wins that, they win the game. I I think that we have to keep keep up with that defensive intensity that we showed in game two. I mean, and then execute offensively. I mean, there were a lot of times where we got lucky or, you know, I, I think it's just keep attacking. When they get physical, we have to get physical and stay physical. I think this is the game where we just out-execute them. And I think the most important thing is to make Joker more, uh, pressure him as much as we can because he really is that fantastic offensive weapon. So if we make him think, he'll hesitate that extra second so we can get back on rotations and stuff. So I, th- I think keep up, keep up that hustle. And it, it, this is going to be a grinded out game, man. I think I think the the physicality level has been set from game two. I'm going with my boy Seth, man. That that that's been my road dog this playoffs. Yeah, he's been killer at home too. He's had some back breaking threes. If he can get that going, I also really like attacking Jokic, getting him in foul trouble because mm-hmm, him being picked, on the bench was huge, bro. Yeah, when he picked up that second foul just out of aggression on uh, the fast break. I was like, that's going to come back and bite him in the ass. And sure enough, it did. He got five. He should have fouled out the next play. He whacked our guy on the head. But regardless, if we can make him play tentatively, that is going to be huge. Attack them. I look for Dame to set the tone. I think the Blazers win. I think we take control of the series. And uh, So we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all the feeder apps, Himalaya Podcasts. We are on every Tuesday at 5 o'clock on Dash Radio. We st- Leave us that good five-star rating, that nice review, and thank you for listening. Go Blazers, we out this bitch. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!